Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by summers.co.uk, making F1 tech easier to understand. Today's episode is called, Won't Someone Please Think About Stoffel? I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going, Sparkles? Yeah, it's going great, Spanners. How are you? I'm good. I'm refreshed. I watched that race, and what we can definitely say about it is that it happened. Yes, there were cars. Uh, they went round. Uh, sometimes they got near each other, and very 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 occasionally there was an attempt at an overtake but it shows i think how far we've come i think we'd have taken a race like this like two or three years ago and the racing has been decent this year there's been a lot of on-track action so when we get a race like this that doesn't quite deliver we're suddenly they're going oh boring yeah it was more kind of what we expected a lot of 2017 to be with a lot you know more more dull races but uh, the season's actually pleasantly surprised us but certainly from a podcast point of view, it wasn't a thriller that we wanted to end the season on and keep people buzzing and listening through the winter. But actually, if we if we do dig a little deeper, there's quite a lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely. A lot of topics to, to get onto. And some news too. We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Uh, let's speak to our guests. We have Downforce boss Jake Sanson. How's it going, Downforce? It's going very well. The Downforce is definitely here. It's solid. It, we're staying on the ground and we've got plenty of grip, unlike Jensen Button. And from his darkened cave is Ryan Ferret Ferris. How are you doing, Ryan? It's going all right. I mean, I put a, a light on specially for you that's blinding me at the moment. So, you know. Mm, I would rather you be physically uncomfortable than the live stream suffer. So that's what we'll go for. And let's talk about the race that happened.
Thank you very much to the live stream for joining us. Why not go to YouTube and search for Missed Apex Podcast. Click subscribe and the little bell. You'll get a notification when we go live. And in the YouTube app, there's a little chat thing. Hey, we've got a bit of news first, Chris, to kick things off. Uh, the powers that be in Formula One are looking at some street circuits. Apparently, they're looking at Copenhagen, London and New York City. And they were actually in Copenhagen talking about it uh, just this week. Yeah, the Copenhagen one seems to be the strongest possibility right now. London, I've heard more times than I can count, and I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, and New York's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Formula E's kind of already been there and done that. So let's see what Formula One can, can come up with. But Copenhagen, yeah, it looks like a, a strong possibility for the future. You're such an apologist for Formula E. Everything, oh, Formula E does it better. Formula E doesn't struggle with tyres. I can't help it if Formula E is just a brilliant series. Uh, where would you want uh, Formula One to go then, Jake? Streets of Colchester, no doubt. Uh, no, uh, I want to go to Africa, somewhere in Africa. I am personally of the belief that Formula One is not a world championship until it visits all six continents where there are racetracks. There are some racetracks in Africa. Admittedly, Kyle Army is out of date and Marrakesh is not big enough to ride a tricycle round. However, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be going there. It's a world championship. We need to integrate the world. We can't integrate unless we're actually doing all of the integrating, not just 80% of it. Absolutely. Where are we going to get an African champion or even African F1 drivers from if the kids aren't there at trackside at some point being inspired? Uh, talking about being inspired within your trade, though, as a commentator and presenter, a big blow, I think, to the F1 media world with that NBC team being shut down uh, and that being the last race they're going to cover. I mean, it's a huge loss. There's not enough slots to fill all those guys in. So... Uh, sorry, there's not enough slots for all those guys to fill. So, you know. And there was me thinking this was a family show. Um, I was going to say, uh, yeah, the loss of the NBC team is devastating. I mean, it's a bit like saying that Murray Walker can't do Formula One commentary anymore. He retired on his own terms. So should Will Buxton. And Will Buxton is one of the voices of Formula One. I genuinely feel it would be absolutely devastating if he wasn't doing it next year. I'd quite like to see Jack Nichols do something full-time live on television, and then Will Buxton should get the BBC Five Live gig. I love listening to Formula One when I'm driving along the motorway to another racetrack or from another racetrack. Will is the voice I want to hear. In fact, he and Davide Valseke, I don't care that it's BBC Five Live and people on Radio 4 or Radio 5 won't be able to understand an Italian accent. Those two are the best combo of commentary that I've heard in any form of F1 race in the last five years. Slightly disagree. Uh, Valseke needs to be on telly because he just bounces around everywhere. That's very true, actually. And as has already been discussed on Twitter today, I would listen to Will Buxton and Davide Valseke commentate on chess. And I think everybody would like to see that, to be honest. Dom is saying Will Buxton for all of next year's podiums. Actually, when he does the podiums and the post-qualifying things, they're always comfortable and they're always slick. So, yeah, and I'd, I would like to listen to Will on a Friday uh, morning when I'm meant to be working. But in fact, I schedule meetings to make sure that I can listen to FP1 whilst pretending to work. Uh, Paul Wright is calling you racist, uh, totally disregarding Antarctica. How dare you? Um, hey, if penguins start sponsoring Formula One cars, I would go for that, especially as it means more free chocolate biscuits in the Silverstone 
uh, media center. And Sandra says, if Jake had his hands tied together, would he still be able to talk? <laughs> yes, you are quite Italian and expressive. I love it. Uh, for a live Always stream, it's way. fine. It's Always fine. People order food in restaurants in Italy just using their hands. Uh, and when I say people, I mean survivors of scooter accidents. Um, but I'm fairly sure, I don't, don't mean to cut you off, I'm fairly sure there's a great French philosopher who once said, a gentleman is a person who can describe a woman without using his hands. I thought Think- a gentleman was somebody who could play the accordion but chooses not to. Oh, darn, that's me out. Chris, did you watch it on Channel 4 today? Uh, I did not add the regular Sky. Ah, I thought so. It was, it was just me being cheapy cheapy. I'll have to go back to Jake again, though. Did you see the intro for Channel 4 where they finally embraced what Steve Jones is? Channel 4 F1 has moved towards Steve Jones, and it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I genuinely doubted Steve Jones being a presenter of formula one when he first came in i have totally warmed to him in the same way i've warmed to jake humphrey i think i absolutely love it and i love the fact that every time there's an awkward toto wolf Susie wolf moment on channel four <laughs> he's the one who picks it up and runs with it we had that in qualifying yesterday actually when toto wolf said something about well it's usually Susie who gives me the difficult questions and uh, he came in and basically said you're going to get an earful tonight and Susie picked it up and ran with it and just said <laughs> you said it it was absolutely fantastic. I, I, I genuinely think, you know, if we're going to have a free view channel, go for it. Channel 4 is not a bad bet for well, it. Well, Don ITV... Byrne is saying C4 is the worst. And but honestly, if you take away Eddie Jordan, I think I think that's a really good team. The grid That's walks... a good point. Channel 4 is the worst because they keep giving Eddie Jordan employment. Without him, it would be perfect. But if you look at Coulthard and you look at Weber doing the pit walks, it, there's no cringe really there at all. There are little comedy duo going up and down and uh, and i absolutely love it okay uh ryan abu dhabi is a good modern track up there with the top modern builds discuss yeah i think it is i think it provides good uh overtaking you know there's a lot of slow corners going into fast corners then going back into slow corners sparkles is going nuts I'm I'm sorry. Great venue. It's sublime. It's absolutely gorgeous and a yeah, fantastic place to be. As a racetrack, awful. Absolutely awful. Oh, oh, no, uh, uh, it's great for WEC. Great for WEC. What? Not much else. Not 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 nothing else. Like sports cars. That's it. Nothing else. It's just seriously, the hairpin like you have a hairpin leading onto a one kilometer back straight. This is not going to create overtaking. It's the really slow corners that are the problem. You know, if you've got you've got a car that will get on the power two or three car lengths ahead of the car in front, by which time it's created a huge gap and it can't catch up. And uh, the last sector is is not inspired at all. Really, there's nothing dynamic about the track. There's nothing interesting or standout. So what I don't get is the people who object to Abu Dhabi seem to be the same people that quite like street circuits, Chris, which you do like street circuits. And that last little section of uh, Abu Dhabi, if you put some buildings around there, that's a very typical street street circuit type layout. Yeah, I mean, I like street circuits as a concept. Doesn't mean they're all brilliant. Uh, you know, you can get street circuits very, very wrong. The Beijing Ypres being my prime example but yeah, I, I think Abu Dhabi final sector is another another example of that Ryan come on come back at these guys tell me tell me what else you love about it I think it produces good racing I I, I think was I watching a completely different Grand Prix well give me an example give me an example of like the best overtake you've ever seen and in- don't use today's race as an example what about the overtakes that we were seeing from the likes of Vettel 
uh, coming out of DRS, coming in uh, out of the first minute. You're really going to use a DRS overtake as the best overtake? Hang on, two seconds, Chris. All overtakes are DRS overtakes now until we get rid of DRS. Yeah, all DRS. Of course they are. All overtakes are DRS overtakes. No, 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 no. Verstappen round the outside at Maggots Beckett's last year on, I think it was Rosberg. That was absolutely beautiful. And that's not DRS. You can do it if you've got the stones. Abu Dhabi does not permit you to have any stones at all. See, Kevin in the chat room has said there what I think might be the issue. It's a boring circuit, no doubt. No history, a concrete, featureless, flat plane. And now I think, yes, they designed it with this kind of clean look in mind to go with all the buildings. It's probably very TV camera friendly. Um, but you don't go there with a sense of history. You don't go there with the awe of a racetrack because it's not what we associate with going to a racetrack. It's not like Castle Coombe on a grassy bank. Uh, it's not a day out at Silverstone seeing, a, you know, going through village and seeing an airfield. You haven't just come off the M5072 or whatever. So a lot of it could be the atmosphere. I think if you plonked that track into a completely different setting, the track itself is fine. Nah. No, no, I didn't know. The, nah. the problem is the racetrack itself. Where it is, is is not the issue at all. It's a great place. But the thing, Tilka's talking about, you know, making some changes to it. Good. Bulldoze it. Start again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So I often get laughed at it uh, for saying this, but the only way we can ever really, truly experience these racetracks is if you go on a simulator or you go on a racing game. Uh, now, on the racing games, I've always found that because you've got the slow hairpin going into the first of those straights, then you've got a chicane where you can win and lose a lot of time, which gets amplified, you know, down that back straight, which is why you get overtakes at the end of those two straights. And you're either punished or rewarded a lot. And where else do you can you make up so much on another car in front in such a short space of time? Well, the, the, the trouble you've got with that, though, is, you know, comparing it to a video game where you've got a lot of mixed ability. I mean, you're not 20 Grand Prix drivers who are designed to, you know, run solid for 55 laps uh, straight. Uh, and and also, you know, games don't accurately represent the idea of wake either. You know, I like, would rather we ha- I would rather we had the Grand Prix at the Dubai Autodrome rather than Abu Dhabi. That's even worse. Now, nah, I think it would make more sense for Formula One because the track is awful. Therefore, you'd get more bumps. There's more bumps on the surface of Dubai Autodrome. That would catch more drivers out. Verstappen would have a field day with ballsy overtakes in places where Formula One cars can't overtake at all. You'd actually get a better race than you would out of Abu Dhabi. All right, we can't spend all day on this. I know a lot didn't happen, but some stuff did happen. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to dance past qualifying a little bit because Bottas did secure pole. And you say it's boring. However, they were trading sectors and they were trading blows. I actually don't think it was quite as boring as perhaps it might have been if you were casually observing it. If you got into it, I think that you could you could see that Hamilton, I think, again, was caught out by his not wanting to do a banker lap tactic. Bottas did a banker lap, went for it, could not improve, but he had a representative time on the board and that was enough for pole. Yeah, it was interesting because we actually got to see something we hadn't seen all year, really, which was Valtteri and Lewis actually battling each other pound for pound, sector for sector, corner for corner for pole position. We haven't actually really seen it properly this year. There's always been one circumstance that inflicts the other 
And it's never really been a straight fight. In fact, you could kind of say that's basically been the whole key to this entire weekend. They've never really had an opportunity to square off against each other. This time they did. And it was particularly important for Valtteri to beat Lewis whenever he could this weekend. Above all else, just to get rid of the stigma that he got from last week, uh, last time in Brazil, sorry, for messing it up at the start. I think he did great all weekend. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the, the qualifying was more interesting than the race from uh, most of um the the time in terms of uh you know the overall uh battle across um the field and Valtteri's lap was really good and I'd say it was a it was a, a big contributor to his race win because we heard Lewis talking so much about uh the 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 buffer of the wake and how we really struggled to break that that one second barrier against Valtteri because you need such a big delta to overtake on this track and if you've got an equal car that's that's very very difficult to to put up so uh equal cars again we were robbed again jake of seeing how these renault boys stack up in a qualifying it just seems like the f1 gods are saying no no you will wait till 2018 to find out who is faster between signs and hulkenberg yeah uh, to be honest the whole weekend was a complete write-off for renault politically uh performance wise Everything about it just sucked for Renault. It was just such a shame because we didn't really get to see what yeah. we've seen from the, the last three or four races. And to be honest, I felt like Judd turned up more than Renault did. Yeah, we'll definitely get to Renault when we talk about the race, which is now. My bumper didn't work. Still didn't work. Hold on. I'll have to try a different one. It's going well. <laughs> None of the bumpers are working. So let's talk about the race, Chris. And since Matt isn't here, why don't you tell us where the race was won and lost? So to kind of echo my earlier comment, uh, Valtteri getting pole position, but crucially this time, maintaining the lead. Of course, Valtteri got a, quite a bit of shtick for being a little bit conservative at turn one in Brazil the last time he started on pole and conceded the lead to Sebastian Vettel. And ultimately the race was sort of done there and then, but this time he actually did hold the lead. And it, you'd have to say in that first stint, he was quicker than Lewis. He built up uh, a nice, you know, two and a half second uh, advantage, was able to maintain that gap. And Lewis attempted a, a, a slight overcut. He pitted three laps later than, than Valtteri. And I'm not sure the overcut, really is something that ended up working it was thought it could be because there was just no degradation on the tires at all but i don't quite think looking at the whole field it's not really something that that worked too too much i I don't think we've seen the overcut work at all i mean there was a lot of talk of it early in the season and people were trying it more but as the season's gone on we've seen that's not a tactic that's worked at all Uh, along with the the shorter final stint on the softer tire the overcuts just not cut it the only time I can think of it actually working was Australia with um, Seb against Lewis. Um, I mean, arguably, arguably, there was traffic that you could throw into the mix there as well. A lot of other um, things. And maybe just the fact that the Ferrari is uh, a quicker car. Um, but definitely, it's, it's yeah, it, it's been interesting watching that kind of unfold. And, and like I said, that soft tyre, just because there is less degradation, it doesn't work as well. Well, it wasn't the quicker car this weekend, was it, Jake? Uh, the Ferraris did not turn up. No, they didn't. I mean, it's interesting because I was watching the Corinne Chandock piece where he talked after qualifying yesterday about how many points Ferrari lost building up to the season finale and how if they had 
uh, managed to get all the points they lost, they would still be fighting for the championship at this round. But if that's the case, then Mercedes would have been champions anyway, because that was just a blatantly poor, sorry, excuse of a race from Ferrari. They looked like they didn't care. They looked like they didn't come up with any interesting strategy. They were losing at times a second a lap to the Mercedes drivers when they were battling with each other. Now, that should be bringing the Ferraris back into the game, not seeing them disappear into the distance. Vettel looked like he was basically just on cruise control for the whole race. That's not the Ferrari we've seen for the previous 19 races in the season. It was disappointing. It was woeful. And I really hope they've got something better next year planned. Because, Chris, I mean, not only was Vettel nowhere near the front two, also Kimi Raikkonen, was not attacking the Red Bull that had outqualified him. Now, when they said, turn up the wick, go for it now, give it everything you've got, really, they were defending more against Max Verstappen than they were attacking Ricciardo, because as soon as Max went in, I think Kimi came in the next lap. Yeah, well, I mean, Kimi was conserving fuel for the vast majority of the race, and, uh, you know, he said he felt like he was in, you know, endurance racing during that that Grand Prix. So I think that pretty much tells the tale of, of, of his race. I have to agree in some ways with Jake about Ferrari's performance. I mean, I, this track definitely does work for Mercedes incredibly well. It's, it's just goes so well with their car. Um, so I, I'm not all that surprised to have seen Mercedes, you know, so high up, but uh, Ferrari's pace is a little bit, it's concerning. Um, but I'm not too worried about next season, um, really. But to be honest, I think they should be worried because if if they uh, go on, go on what? Yeah, you, you didn't. Did you see the parts they were trying on Friday? No, they, tell me about them. They look meaty, very meaty. Okay, so they might have been trialing some mysterious parts for the beginning of 2018, and we haven't seen what Mercedes have got for the beginning of 2018, but we did predict right back in the season, and we will cover this on Sunday on our season uh, review, but we kind of predicted, yeah, Ferrari will have a good start, Red Bull will come strong throughout the season, and Mercedes will maintain a uh, uh, not maintain a gap, but will pull ahead. Because we were arguing over who quite started the season stronger. I correctly said Mercedes all along, uh, but they had setup issues. Uh, But I think it's clear now, in the last third of the season, Mercedes have got a faster race car. They have developed better, as predicted. I I can't categorically call the the Mercedes the better race car, because it ebbs and flows. It's faster. Okay, in Br- I think that's the engine, though. I don't. I don't think that's the car. I think that's the engine. My theory was uh, partway through the season was the Ferrari's the better car because it's the in-between car. The Mercedes is good at the top-speed dependent circuits, where the Red Bull's good at the tight and twisty stuff, where the Red Bull's a car in between and can perform well at both sort of circuits. So, in my f- in my opinion, I think the Ferrari is the better car. Are you saying? that Ferrari is Mario, Mercedes are Donkey Kong, and that Red Bull are Cooper, Cooper Trooper. Is that what you're saying, Ryan? Is that what you're telling me? Something along those lines. <laughs> Go on, uh, Chris. Why don't you continue telling us where the race was won and lost? Because once that overcut opportunity had not come to fruition, we were left in a straight fight. And, you know, t- traditionally this is the bit of the race where Bottas starts to wake up a little bit and he's found himself ahead so, you know, what chance was there in reality for Hamilton? Well, the opportunity came on the super soft tyre. How many times have we seen, 
Lewis put on a harder tire and suddenly he's able to find those extra few tenths that his teammate uh, can't. I mean, I, I think of Silverstone in 2014, perfect example when all of a sudden he was you know, half second, three quarters of a second quicker than Nico Rosberg as soon as they put on the hard tire. And um, today was not not the same to such an extreme, but definitely he looked a lot more comfortable in the early stages of that second stint. I think what Valtteri maybe struggled a little bit with, he's got quite a low energy driving style and uh, on such a smooth uh, surface and a harder uh, tire, he maybe struggled to get them in that working window quite as quickly as Lewis, maybe. Uh, Jake, your thoughts then, were you optimistic at any point that Hamilton was going to get past? Because I, I counted, I think, three distinct thrusts where he said, OK, enough of this sitting back. I'm going to go for it. He looked like there was a chance a couple of times, but I think his biggest issue today was the crosswinds. He wasn't really able to get into the draft of Valtteri Bottas effectively enough to put a challenge. That's one of the issues. But the bigger issue, I think, was that Valtteri Bottas just outshined him today. I know that, you know, we've had people say, oh, Hamilton this, Hamilton that. Valtteri really needed to put on a good show today to go into the winter to prove to Mercedes, to himself and to the world that he is the right man to be the number two in that team and possibly even a challenge to Lewis Hamilton in the future. Today is the best I've ever seen Valtteri Bottas drive. He pole positioned it, fastest lap. He led every single lap, even through the pit stop phases, pretty much, uh, other than Hamilton staying out a bit longer. And... You know, he won the race at a canter and every time Lewis closed him in, he found a little bit extra more, dug deep and got away. I don't think Lewis Hamilton lost that race. I think Valtteri Bottas won it and won it fairly. Well, I think Bottas did an awesome job, to be honest, this weekend. But, you know, we did see when there was the pit stop phase, Bottas struggling to sort of get the tyres going through the first section of of the second stint. But then he, he managed to break into it and I felt that that was the point Lewis had. He had to make a move at the start of that stint because that was when Bottas was most vulnerable. And you could see him start to close in. It just seemed that he was pushing too hard to try and get past Bottas. I think uh, DC on Channel 4 summed it up quite nicely. Which he said it wasn't a sort of fist fight. It was more of a chess game. And you could see, you know, when, when Lewis, he, he ran off at, at turn 17 and that wiped out kind of any gap that he'd managed to whittle down. But then we saw Bottas making a mistake into the first chicane uh, as well. And I, I definitely, I, I have to agree with Jake. You know, this was uh, a weekend where Valtteri was uh, supreme. It's the best I've seen him drive all season. So just going and to I the, ha- sorry, Jake, just going to the chat room very quickly. Oh, actually you go, Jake. I think yours will be more relevant. Well, it's to do with the chat room. Don Berners said Bottas also needed a win to stall Mercedes doing a deal with Danny Ricardo over the winter. Do you know what? I actually think that had a lot to do with it. Valtteri knows that Danny Ricardo is desperate to get into Mercedes. He wants him uh, to be in a strong position. Uh, uh, Danny wants to be in a good car. He obviously knows that the Mercedes is going to be a better bet for him long term than Ferrari because they're courting Verstappen at the moment. I genuinely think that Bottas needed to win that to prove to Mercedes, you don't need Danny Ricciardo, you don't need him, you need me. It's a, it's a well-timed win uh, for Bottas, you know, in terms of uh, momentum, ending the season on a high, and this is a, a sort of statement from, from Valtteri, if you ask me, that he's a force to be reckoned with next season. Okay, so let's go to the chat room as well. Matthew Summerfield, who's in the chat room, but too busy to come on here and give you his technical expertise himself. 
lazy. No, not really. He's one of the hardest working guys out there in F1 media. But he was settling the argument between you and me, Chris, about whether Ferrari was better, etc. And he says... Ferrari have had a better setup window until some of their toys, i.e. switching blown axle, moving floor, synth, etc., were taken away. Then Merck dealt with the issues from the suspension ban, which I think proves either you or me completely right. I don't understand Is, is he, is he from Liverpool? <laughs> <laughs> well, Spanners, this is the thing about this season, is that at no point have we really been able to categorically say for more than uh, one race at a time, the Mercedes or the Ferrari is a quicker car. They both have their strengths and they have their weaknesses. They both had to deal with uh, their own individual problems. And race by race, we get a swing in momentum. And that is what Formula One should be and um, is what it has been this season. And I am so grateful for that because it just makes it so much more interesting to talk about. Excellent. Let's take a little break there and let's talk to our guests. First off, let's talk to Ryan Ferret Ferris. Great performance and analysis from you on e-radio show a couple of weeks ago on the preview. How was that? It was great fun. It's something that's we've been away from for a while and uh, you know, it's it's great fun getting to talk uh, about the electronic stuff. Yeah, it's good fun. Good fun there, Chris. Of course, that is hosted by Matthew Trumpets and yourself, basically, doing the show running and content for that. Uh, I know you're very, very excited that next weekend we're going to have some Formula E. Yeah, definitely. It's been far too long since I've seen a Formula E car uh, on track. And of course, it's it's in one week's time. On December the 2nd and 3rd, we'll have the first two races of the season in, in Hong Kong. Excellent. And you're going to not be in Hong Kong, but what's the first race you're going to get out to live? Um, I, I think I'm looking at the European season, looking at sort of budgets and stuff for uh, next year. But uh, that doesn't mean that the content we will be producing will be uh, any less uh, devoid of, of, of character and richness. So I just got to go to Christopher Fonseca in the chat room who says, "Ooh, Summers is on. No, no, no. That was my perfect impression of him. That was that was just me. It wasn't really Matthew Summerfield. Uh, but of course, uh, we do e-radio show for downforce uk and if you want to listen to this show alongside with e-radio show pit board which is allegedly comedy uh and also some tin top stuff you could just subscribe to the downforce feed because i also put this show missed apex onto the downforce uk feed so you can get them all in one lump that's another option for you and we're very lucky to have the boss of downforce uk jake sanson jake big plans for downforce for 2018 Yes, big plans. We're doing more live coverage of some of the championships that you guys watching the feed can actually go and compete in. So things like the Daytona D-Max championships, the Art UK series. Uh, we're doing some more bits and pieces with the Rye House Pro Karting, all sorts of different things that are coming out of the woodwork. Lots of live coverage next year. We're currently in the process of selecting the Downforce UK awards for British sporting stars and talents and championships and circuits and commentators. So uh, if you've got an opinion about what's been really great about British motorsport this year, British racers in the international feed uh, national scene if there's racing near you that you want recognized head to our website downforceracing.uk click the golden union flag which will take you to the uh, downforce uk awards page you can see all the categories send us an email downforceuk at hotmail.co.uk and your nominations could make somebody a worthy champion tell us more about your personal podcast pitboard 
So basically, yeah, Pitboard, uh, we talk about all of the stuff in motor racing in the course of one hour uh, that you wouldn't find on this show because this is a clean show. And that's a silly, dirty, naughty show uh, where we say <laughs> silly things and rude words that you're not allowed on this pro- podcast. Basically, it's a bit like Mock the Week, Taskmaster, and Have I Got News for You, all rolled into one show and all about motorsport. It's very silly and very childish and hopefully right up your street. And follow Jake personally by searching for Jake Sanson, not Samson. It's a pet hate of mine when people's names sound very similar to a common name, but they are in fact an uncommon name. That's your fault. You could have changed that anytime. 40 quid down the registrar job. Yeah, done. but the problem is Bug was already taken. Jake Bug. It's uh, That was my second choice. So then, uh, yes, follow Downforce UK. You'll find me there. Obviously, Jake, I'm eager to find out if I win a Downforce award now that I am a motorsport presenter. If you all want to laugh at my efforts at being a video presenter where I did not know what to do with my hands. Apparently, I just looked like I was constantly describing how big things were and also you were proper ricky bobby mode you were fantastic <laughs> don't know what to do with my hands and then obviously i was just blinking i watched the video back and i went i'm blinking i'm blinking a lot i understand eyes need blinking but not that much blinking so if you want to go and laugh at me and find out what the guys at the british rental car championship are up to that's run by bradley philpot search brkc on twitter and on facebook and you'll get all the information there Uh, there's a live event in january 2018 i hope you'll come check it out i'll be there pit lane reporter chris we were talking about this race perhaps not being a thriller and 2017 in general we were talking about the overtakes being harder to come by but when they do come they're kind of worth it yeah see i i know that we spent a lot of time this race kind of waiting for something to happen but when when there was an overtake, you know, when there was some good side-by-side action, it was very, very entertaining. I mean, the Grosjean Stroll battle, for example. Now, that was that was something. That was very, very enjoyable. It was a swap and a change and a swap and a change and then a swap and a change again. You know, it was all in the space of three or four corners. Uh, okay, that was a good battle. And I did like it. But, Jake, that kind of exposed a few weaknesses, didn't it? Well, it's certainly exposed that Lance Stroll doesn't know his way around the Abu Dhabi circuit, despite the fact that he's driven there quite a lot. Um, It's disappointing because we saw a Lance Stroll that looked like he was having his Formula One debut, and that was back in March. So, yeah, it kind of gave all of the people who have ammunition against Lance Stroll that he's not fit to be a Formula One driver for a team as pedigree-ridden as Williams. It gave them so much fuel because Lance Stroll looked like he has never been on the podium in Baku at all. He looked like he had only just got into the Formula One car for the first time. I don't know why his tyres went off in quite the way they did with Felipe Massa, but it just it was appalling. And that's not the Lance Stroll we know. But I was surprised to see that the Channel 4 commentators, and and I'm not knocking them, they're absolutely great commentators, were talking about that as an example of Stroll's racecraft. The fact that he kept coming back and holding off the house of Roman Grosjean. I thought it was the opposite. The very fact that Grosjean was beating him on race pace, but that car had enough power to get back at him uh, on the straights. Not through any skill, just pure horsepower, Jake. All that did was highlight how bad Stroll was. Stroll would have been better off just tucking in behind and going, oh, well, he got me. He would have looked a lot less daft. It's a very good point you make, actually. And I noticed it in qualifying when the Channel 4 commentators picked up on it that 
the way that Lance Stroll was driving the car in comparison to Felipe Massa was so erratic. I mean, he was wrestling with his steering wheel as if it was going to jerk out of his hands compared to Felipe Massa, who was much smoother, much more fluid. And it was a bit worrying because that is kind of Lance Stroll's issue. He just seems to be wrestling with his car every time he goes out onto the circuit. He doesn't have any fluidity and he's not really going to improve unless he can figure out how to be a smoother driver. You can't just be all aggression all the time, especially when you've got a bad car underneath you. Well, that's the thing. He was looking very tight going through some corners. In fact, he looked like he was someone playing Forza on an Xbox controller for the first time. He, di- he didn't look like uh, someone who's supposed to be in the premier class of motor racing. But that, that's been Stroll the season. He started off not particularly great, then got wet, went well, and then he's just dropped back to the start of the season again. I, I don't know what's going on. As you say, Jake, this kind of erratic driving style, it's something that we sort of picked up on um, in preseason testing. And despite, you know, a whole year in the car, plus you know, a few extra tests as well, there's still this inherent problem there with his driving style. And now that I've had a, a year to watch him develop and, and, and properly judge his season, I don't think he was ready for Formula One when he came in. I'd say arguably you could say he's not ready for Formula One now. When I really think about it, the original plan of popping him in the Premier F2 team for this season might not have been such a bad idea. No, I agree. Yeah, I, th- I think he did it too early. And he looks like he's gone backwards in development rather than forwards most of the time. And let's just put this into complete context, Chris. Uh, the house of Roman Grosjean, not as good a race car. Uh, not able to do a lap as quickly as the Williams. Grosjean in that was able to go round the outside after the first of those two long straights, outbreak him, go round the outside and have track position going into the second bend of that apex. Uh, And it was only the power of the Williams that then allowed Stroll to come back on the outside. Oh yeah, I I definitely say that the the Stroll was relying on that Mercedes engine to to kind of keeping in play in in, in terms of racecraft. Um, and and that has you know the, the thing it's really difficult to kind of say about um the Haas because they've been struggling so much with the brakes and the Williams I know it has the potential to be a really great car but they're really struggling but yet yeah, you you would say you know this Williams it should be ahead of of this Haas and 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 when you you look at the the, the points tally I think Felipe's uh outscored Lance by 3 points this season but when you consider that Lance had the podium in Baku, he it, it, it really, it shouldn't be that close, really. Well, well Nelson Piquet Jr. finished second in Hockenheim. So miracles can happen because that happened in 2008 in Germany. And that was never, ever supposed to happen and certainly never happened again. So maybe that's the last time we'll ever see Lance Stroll on the podium. So uh, when uh, DTB says it's a pity uh, Kubica, Kubica, Kubica. I like Kubica, is still the is is not really the best choice, unfortunately, but it definitely looks like it's going that way. I want it to happen for the fairy tale story of it, because I think Formula One needs a fairy tale story like that right now, with everything being so up in the air and people focusing on things like the halo, which sucks, and the three engine rule, which sucks, and the new F1 logo. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Which completely sucks. It would be nice to have something really, really special like Kubica coming in for people to focus on rather than all the bits that people are going to be negative about going into 2018. Well, I hope so. And I hope he is able to do it. And that arm that is working must be in really top nick. He must have done everything he can to get that going fantastically because Formula One as the pinnacle of motorsport, you would think that you would need two good arms to be able to do it. So there's going to be question marks. I'm torn between thinking, what a fantastic story that a guy with effectively one arm can come and make his way back into Formula One. However, what does it say about what these cars are like to operate? I will say, however, Chris, what I'm hearing uh, is, and this was actually on a casual conversation with Matthew Carter, former CEO Lotus. That's right. I just have casual conversations with people like that now. Uh, he was saying, obviously, we know that the insurance company wanted a refund because he's going back into Formula One. And apparently that was really the only sticking point coming up. And I'm wondering, and this is me now, if Shrotkin, it was just an insurance policy for Williams. But what I'm hearing now is that that problem is no longer there. And the door is now open for Kubica to come back. Well, believe me, Williams had a lot more insurance options than, than Sergei Sorokin. Um, I, I, I love the story. Don't get me wrong. I, you would have to be heartless not to love the idea of overcoming injury of several years in a silly crash that wasn't really his fault and prematurely ended this rising star's uh, career. And now he's coming back. I mean, how could you not love that story? However, I do feel that it is a, a very large unnecessary risk especially when you've got so many incredibly capable drivers who should really be still in formula 1 and formula 1 is so so different to the last time kubica drove a car not just in terms of you know the hybrid uh, technology in it but the the whole sport is just so vastly different now yeah, I agree. And if uh, if I had the choice, it's going to break a lot of hearts, but I would not have him make his comeback. Uh, I agree. Especially when you look at the amount of years he's potentially got ahead of him. It has kind of got, you know, publicity written all over it. However, I suspect, and this is a core problem with Williams at the moment, I suspect he is simply coming in with the biggest paycheck. I don't think it's the romance of the story at all. I think he's well-funded and that is what is making the difference. And to me, that is putting me off putting any of my emotional 
bucks, I'm sure Williams care a lot, into Williams next season. It's hard for me to be a Williams fan next season with the decisions they've made over drivers. Ryan, buddy. Yeah, well, I think it's good for Williams to put them back in the limelight. I think that's almost like one of the main things. But then when I think of Kubica, I know it's not really much to sort of compare him to, but when he went and did his stint in rallying, and everyone thought, oh, yeah, he's the next real deal. And then when he got into the main class, he just binned it all the time. Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, it was like Raikkonen in rallying. It was never actually going to go anywhere, was it? Because he's so used to one discipline. The thing is, this whole Kibitza comeback story, it's starting to feel a little bit like Rocky Marciano again. Oh, no, sorry, Rocky Balboa even. <laughs> Rocky Balboa. It, it's just... I, I, it just screams of cheese and I don't really want to give it anything serious until I know he can actually drive a car for an entire hour and a half in a racecraft situation, wheel to wheel with somebody where the pressure's actually on him. I just don't think he's going to be able to hack it. I would rather put Paul DeResta, who maybe is not quite as exciting, maybe not quite as interesting, but certainly he'll cross the finish line and bag more points for Williams, which right now is what they need. I can't believe you're saying Paul is not exciting. Look at this screen here. No, and that wasn't Paul DeResta. Again, that was my wasn't amazing, oh, my amazing wow, mimicry. Okay, so we were talking about uh, these battles, Chris. Also, Hulkenberg versus Perez early on. That was a super, super interesting battle. It was really great for half a lap uh, <laughs> until... <laughs> yeah. Until Hulkenberg just drove off the track and did not give him the play i I really dislike the fact that they just handed a penalty out straight away no warning of give the place back which would have i mean the the five second penalty is the most pointless how many times have we said this five second penalty thing just doesn't work like with verline in in monaco he just it did not solve anything and it's the same again today so trumpet sent me a whatsapp message with his theory on this so what he did was ask me three questions and answer them all himself it's over the, the course of five minutes. American racism. <laughs> so anyway, Matt's point was that he felt that Hulkenberg knew he was going to struggle getting past Perez. You need a 1.2 second delta, according to Lewis Hamilton, to get past the car in front. They needed points. Uh, they needed points a lot. Not needed a lot of points, but to get that delta of eight or nine million pounds in prize money, they needed to get past. And if you were going to be cynical, which Mr. Trumpets most certainly is, he was suggesting that at some point when he found himself off track, he could quickly have thought to himself, if I get a five second penalty, if I can get far enough down the road with a five second penalty and just accept that, then I'm going to be ahead. And there's going to be no repercussion because you can't appeal a five-second penalty. Chris, is that crazy tinfoil hat stuff? No, I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't think he's, you know, having that exact thought in his head in the three seconds that he's off um, the track. But definitely what has ended up happening here is that Hulkenberg has gone unpunished when he made an illegal maneuver because he just took the position built a five second gap which he could easily do because the Renault was the quickest midfield car today and it went on if if Ricardo hadn't retired from the race this would have been a a, a crucial thing because Hulkenberg needed you know those, those positions to give Renault sixth in, in the constructors championship had a force India been ahead of him and he then had not been able to pass him this conversation would have a very very different tone to it. 
I absolutely agree. I think Renault have been completely childish in the last three or four weeks. You know, they've seen that Toro Rosso might beat them and thrown the toys out of the pram two weeks ago. They've come here and obviously thought we must do anything, anything possible, anything possible to get that sixth position in the championship. They twisted the rules. They've done a really silly thing there. They didn't get punished. I'm sorry, they didn't because that enabled Hulkenberg to build up enough of a gap that the five second penalty was negated. It's not right. And I totally agree with Sergio Perez and Force India being absolutely fuming about that penalty it was a non-penalty and you're right it was given out before any hint of an investigation or anything it was just oh well no, never mind any about that or give up the position or anything it was it was pathetic and personally i am not a fan of Renault right now they are just being completely and totally adolescent in how they go about this business of formula one how on earth are they going to compete with mercedes and ferrari if every time they're losing they throw their toys out the pram Jake, I'm sensing that you're not a fan of Renault at the moment. I have sympathy. But let's be clear. What are you saying that they have gotten up to towards the end of the season when you say they've thrown their toys out of the pram? Well, I mean, how on earth do you turn around to a team that you're supplying ultimately (laughs) and saying, well, the reason they're not doing so well is because their car's rubbish. Well, it can't be that rubbish because they're battling with you for the same position in the Constructors' Championship. And I've actually got as good drivers at that point in the championship. They might not have had the same experience, but in terms of their ultimate level, I would say they're about equal. So Renault basically saying, well, they're not as good as us, so we're going to beat them. It was like playground talk. And so Toro Rosso came back and defended their honour very, very maturely, I felt, to clarify the situation. And Cyril Abitbull went over and shouted at Helmut Marco. It's like, guys, come on. Are we... Are we mucking about playing ping pong, to coin Sebastian Vettel's phrase here? This is multi-million pound business. I know it's worth nine million pounds, but looking like a child never goes away. And this is actually, if you want to put Cyril's actions into some kind of context, go back and listen to the Matthew Carter interview episode three that we did, where he talks about his own hotel near dust up with Cyril. Um, But yeah, look, Renault, for all their shouting, for all their blustering, they finished sixth in the championship. Now, that's the same place that the Endstone outfit, known as Lotus, finished in 2015. But since then, Chris, they've had an extra 200 staff. They've got a huge budget and they're competing against less teams. Overall, is this Renault project a a fail so far? Because this is a full season. This is a Renault car. No, I, it's definitely not a, a failure because you've got to consider um, how how different the field is uh, now uh, compared to what it was in, in 2015. You have to consider that it's actually a Renault engine in that car when it was a Mercedes engine back in 2015. Um, and, and, and overall, the, just the, the, the competitiveness of the field, it's, it's so much harder to score uh, points on a regular basis because you've got such a huge gap between the leaders and the, the the rest of the field and uh I, the the reliability wise as well that's cost them a, a huge uh chunk of points as well but uh, a failure is is uh hyperbolic i would say well okay then but this race that is uh, obviously it's a failure in the pit lane that we've seen before but when you have a team that's having these failures it's having reliability it's not making the best of its position and then it sends Carlos signs out nearly into the pit wall with a wheel not attached uh, that makes you think that maybe it's systemic rather than a one-off unlucky accident okay but look at them today they were the fourth quickest team uh, today and and yet you know mistakes in the pits they they do happen and it can't be helped and the engine issue that science had in qualifying put him further back on the grid uh, anyway but at the heart of it they were the fourth quickest team uh, today 
and that's definitely something that is going to snowball over the next few years in my opinion uh so when again in the chat room renault can't get their politics right or make engines to reach the finish line they got lucky to finish where they did and i think jake you're going to get excited and and agree with that um but does your kind of unenthusiasm about the renault works team extend to the engine because as we know uh, alonso and massa which is the next battle we want to go to next is uh alonso is going to be powered by renault next season <laughs> I think this is hilarious that McLaren are going to get powered by Renault next year because I genuinely feel that like the last time Honda were with McLaren, that performance is coming right round the corner. It seems that everybody in terms of Honda's development as a Formula One engine are a little bit forgetful because if you remember, McLaren had all that success with Honda the first time round, but they started with them this time. You've got to go back to the reason McLaren were fantastic with Honda the last time is because they poached the engine deal off of Williams when they were the best engine in Formula One. So that has nothing to do with all the development work that was done before with teams like Spirit, who slugged it out with a very uncompetitive Honda engine. Now McLaren's having to do all of that and they've forgotten. They thought, oh yeah, the Honda, we won with them, so we'll win with them again. You've got to do that legwork for three or four years. I think if you actually look at the positions they've been getting into in Q3, Q2, they're not far off that. In race, they're still lagging, but I don't think they're too far away from it now. They've done the three years of legwork. They're not a million miles away from it. They managed to bring both cars home in the, well, not quite the points, but they certainly both... Uh, closer to where they need to be than they've been most of the season in the last four or five races. I think the fact that Honda are going to Toro Rosso now is an own goal for Red Bull. You know, they're going to do a year of development with Toro Rosso. They're going to finally break the umbilical cord with Renault with uh, Red Bull at the end of 2018. They'll get Honda engines. So will Toro Rosso and Red Bull will clean up and win everything in 2019. I can genuinely see that happening. And it's amazing that McLaren are so short-sighted that they can't see that. Mm, you said a lot of things and you said them for an extended period of time. I cannot wait to listen back. Although I will say to you that I am always conscious when we're being too negative, uh, especially I think if you listen to a lot of F1 journalism at our kind of level as well, should we say other podcasts, uh, it is very easy to get negative. It's actually much easier to look at the negative sides of what's happened over the course of a, ra- a race weekend than the positive. So I wanted to particularly highlight uh, people who did good today. Ryan, your boy, Ricciardo, uh, he's been under pressure against Verstappen, but you-, you can't deny that he was really on it. He was genuinely the fourth place car today. Yeah, and it frustrates me again that once he has another car failure, and it, you know, it, it not only upsets me, but it upsets a lot of people because he's possibly, I think he's probably the biggest character in the paddock. And I think I can't think of anyone who's got a bad word about him. No, and when you think that everyone was saying that this is probably one of the best driver combinations on the grid this year, it's funny how quickly people have been negative about Ricciardo. But he's actually against, you know, the the person that people are saying is the next Senna, the next Hamilton, the next anyone. So obviously he's not going to be beating him every week. Well, no, but I think he's had a level of consistency this season that obviously, you know, Max hasn't been able to have. Obviously, Max had the reliability issues at the start of the season. And it seems that now it's uh, the shoes are on the other feet and it's Ricardo that's having reliability problems this part of the season. Chris, I'm pretty sure that the shoe is on the other foot, but we'll gloss past that. Well, no, I'm really glad that I haven't directly seen any of this Ricardo criticism, because in my opinion, he is one of the top four or five 
drivers on the grid. And, you know, say this Mercedes deal does happen and he is a teammate with Lewis Hamilton at some point, I think he'll give him a run for his money. Okay, going on to people who've done well. Jake, Valtteri Bottas, we've covered that, but let's just say, yes, he's done very well. He's amazing. Roman Grosjean, what did you think of his performance today? For me, the driver of the day. <laughs> Sorry, was that a joke? Um, yeah, uh, d- uh, I don't even know if I've got the stones to even commit to this one. Um, it's quite funny because Grosjean didn't whinge and whine to the FIA today which is interesting. Oh, either that or FOM didn't broadcast it. He, he did. You missed it. Oh, I missed it. Yeah. There you go. I was obviously uh, blowing my nose at that he point. He said he was fed up of the rules on track. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, yeah, he, he did, did say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know what? It's it's funny, considering that three years ago, Roman Grosjean was the man who was a shoe-in for Ferrari and to win the World Championship as teammate to Sebastian Vettel. And it, now he just doesn't even look like he'd get a NASCAR drive. It's quite funny watching to be honest, because this is a man whose self-esteem and motivation is crumbling around him. And all he's got on the table is Haas. You don't see anybody going, oh, well, maybe we could consider Roman Grosjean in 2018 or 2019. He could be a good driver for it. No, Renault's not thinking it. Williams isn't thinking it. Toro Rosso isn't even thinking it. You know, Grosjean, his career will stagnate and die in a ball of humiliation at Haas. And I think it's a real shame that he hasn't had the opportunity to really show what he could do. Whoa, whoa there, Haas. Hold your horses. I wasn't being entirely sarcastic. I I mean, they think Kevin Magnussen is a good choice for number two driver to Roman Grosjean. Please. Oh, oh, we're going to fall out about this as well, right? So whatever you think about Grosjean's attitude and the fact that he did have a period just taking everybody out, he's quick. I think he's a fast driver Um, and I think he can race. The problem here is, Chris, that next season we're going to see Sauber favoured over Haas and we're going to see Haas go to the back of the grid and that is basically the end of Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen's careers. I I know. I I don't necessarily uh, agree with that because Haas... I do! Well, good (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Haas have still got the technical partnership with Ferrari. That's still going on salba yeah they'll be getting current engines next year no doubt that's gonna push them up a little bit but uh, frankly if you ask me i think uh they're, they're better off prioritizing haas stick leclerc and giovanazzi in that car and uh maybe put your more experienced guys in the salba because frankly those two guys would be wasted in the salba next year trust me um in terms of you know grosjean i think he did a good job uh today but he, definitely people aren't talking about him in the way they were in 2013. He did a good job today. Ryan. No. Ryan. I like Grosjean. I mean, yeah, he's sort of fallen from grace recently. He's always been seen as, uh, you know, the, the class winger and also the, uh, you know, teacher's pet a lot in uh, driver's briefings. He is, though. Oh, but I thought today's performance where you saw him fighting for position, it was almost like seeing the old Roman again. You know, the, the Grosjean that we saw at the European Grand Prix chasing down Vettel for first position. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And Don Byrne in the chat room says the other thing about Grosjean is that everyone complains about F1 drivers being dull. Grosjean shows some emotion and he's labelled a whinger. And I think we do that a lot, actually. We do that a lot with people. And I, I think I've kind of realised that I did it with Massa. Because Massa... I don't, th- I, don't think he's a, I don't think he's a whinger. I think he's a snitch. There's a big difference. 
if I may continue, sir, because I think I made this mistake with Massa as well. After the 2008 championship, he was really emotional at a time where drivers were, were very, very robotic. And he was out in the press conferences being angry, calling people out. And he was calling Hamilton out quite a lot. And obviously I'm Hamfosi. So I was like, oh, you're attacking the driver I like. How could you be? And then I sort of thinking about it today and going, I was judging Massa for being every bit as emotional and passionate as I would be if people interviewed me about, you know, computer games or podcasting. So, yeah, I think I think we can do that. And Tony Thunderbeast Barnard backs me up in the chat room and says, let him finish, bro. It's in block capitals, so you have to respect that. Why don't we see if I've got my soundboard back? I have. Hooray. It worked. So, okay then. Double donuts, Ryan. Do you approve of both Bottas and Hamilton's donuts? Did they both do it right? I don't think Hamilton can still do a donut for Toffee. Uh, <laughs> he just does a half donut, and no, no one's, you know, no one's happy with half a donut. You want a full donut, and you know that's what Bottas can produce. I've never seen anyone angrier than Bradley Philpot by text describing how unhappy he was with Hamilton's donuts. And I dared to suggest, well, maybe it's because he was holding a flag. He's like, no. You can do a donut holding a flag. I'm sorry, is there a controversy about two drivers doing donuts at the end of a Formula One season now? Oh, no, please. no, no, no. It's Bradley saying that Hamilton can't do them, as in he, he physically lacks the ability to do them. Well, he clearly did them. He just doesn't have a lot of space because he chose to do them on the start-finish straight where there really isn't actually that much room. What amused me about that on the start-finish straight was Felipe Massa. Uh, Dude, you didn't finish third position. I know it's your last Grand Prix, but you got the pity party last year. What are you doing on the start-finish straight? You're not even doing donuts. You're not even part of this celebration. You're just finding a sneaky way to go, "Uh, uh, I'm going, bye, it was just a bit pathetic, really. I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt in Brazil, but certainly, yes, this time I thought it was a bit much. Okay, let's do our, our things of the weekend, shall we? Let's start with Chris Rainbow Sparkles Stevens. He's a real journalist. He gets money to write things down, and then people will read that, and there'll be, like, adverts on that. It's legit stuff. I can't believe... I've seen him go from bumbling idiot that we let him come on here out of pity to a real-life grown-up journalist who also produces shows for this network. Chris, what was your thing of the weekend? People read my stuff? Really? <laughs> I have no idea. Make your I do occasionally. Your yeah. bank balance reads them. <laughs> I don't read my bank balance, ironically. Um, my thing of the week... Uh, I am going to go with the easy one because you came to me first and um, say Valtteri Bottas. I think this has been uh, a real standout moment in his uh, Mercedes career and is going to really slingshot him into next season. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. It's very easy when you see the second car catching up and trying to overtake to think that that second car is going faster. It's a completely different animal when you're at the front. We don't know if the situations were reversed, whether Bottas would have had the same pace to close the gap. Well, especially when you consider that uh, the, the Mercedes engine in the back of Hamilton's car was significantly fresher. Absolutely. And if defending is an absolute skill as part of racing... It is. And it is. Uh, then what we've seen is... Uh, somebody has defended exactly as much as they've needed to. Uh, I think it was Nicky Lauda who said on an interview that they were watching the telemetry and they could see that both drivers were pushing. I mean, do you remember how much praise we gave Pastor Maldonado for having Fernando Alonso in his mirrors in uh, Spain in 2012? 
and you know it's like having a, a, a shark following you around that's what Valtteri must have felt like today having Lewis Hamilton in his mirrors for you know half a Grand Prix I have a, a lot of respect for what he did today Yes. No, I agree. Absolutely. And what I would like to see from him next season is aggression. Uh, fine when you've got the pace, the control pace, but maybe be aggressive at the starts. Maybe be aggressive when he has the chance to overtake because he's got stuck in places this season where Hamilton hasn't been stuck. And I think he has that ability because we've seen flashes of it. So I think it, it is one of those confidence things. Next season, he's a fully proper Mercedes driver. He's a full-on race winner. And I think he, he needs to just give it some. He needs to give it some beep. Uh, Jake, what's your thing of the weekend? Well, my thing of the weekend was the fact that that was the last Formula One race where the F1 cars will look good before they get a lot of plastic thongs sellotaped over the top of the cockpits. Oh, calm down, Nanny Jake. Oh, I no, want F- I will not calm down. That is probably the last good Formula One race I will ever see in <laughs> terms of appearance. All I'm They'll hearing. They'll just look appalling next year. <laughs> I just want F1 to stay how it was in 1970. The drivers used to stand on tiptoes on the seat and you could see everything they were doing. If there's one thing I've learned from Yorkshire, it's that change is never good. Yeah, and I'm not hearing anything wrong in that statement. What are you <laughs> on about? Honestly, you will forget after six races that the halo is even there. We've seen No, this. I won't. No, 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 I won't. No, no, I won't. Chris, are you nodding or you're? are you agreeing? Oh, I'm nodding with you, yeah. Bannon. You will forget about it. Just in I mean, do you remember when we thought those 2012 noses were really ugly? This is not the noses. same thing as it is. It's noses. exactly the same no, thing. No, it is, it is no. exactly the same thing. And I'm sorry, oh. I cannot accept aesthetics in, a, in an argument about safety. No, well, the, I... Hey, this is not the right show to think about what uh, to say what I actually think about the reason they're bringing the halos in. But yeah, if you want to talk with me about it, once I've had a couple of ciders, my real truth will come out. But at, that's every, here. at every launch presentation, at every new season, I look at the new cars and go, oh my lordy, those are the most disgusting looking contraptions I have ever seen. Yeah, but next year it will be all 10 of them and I'll go, right, when's IndyCar starting again? Oh man, It will be flip-flops on wheels. Exactly, exactly. That's not Formula One. That's a mockery. My kids can design a better idea with Lego. I have I'm sorry. Seriously consider the commitment of anybody who says Formula One cars are ugly, so I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, but the thing is, Sebastian Vettel did one test with the aero screen and went, oh, I feel a bit queasy. Well, take some anti-sickness tablets and suck it up. They look better. It's a better solution. Grow up. <laughs> if someone in the chat room's there I, I, I'll assume I'll do it in the same accent real drivers don't need helmets <laughs> well, so they used to wear open face helmets with goggles and that were good enough uh, but yeah I honestly I genuinely think we will forget about it uh, there's no real alternative people are not going to go oh the halo's ugly I'm going to watch Weck with Toyota racing themselves are they yeah I don't like Weck either that much but that's not the argument I'm having here to be honest, the aero screen was a good idea. It's just oh, Vettel got a bit queasy. So let's not have it. Jake, what are you going to do when IndyCar adopts its own <laughs> head protection and Formula E and every other single seater? Are you just going to retire from motorsport? No, there's plenty of touring car championships out there. Oh, wonderful. Have fun yeah. with that. Yeah, I will. They, they, you know, you're aware that they're in a cockpit also, though. Yes, but they've got a roof and that's part of the car. 
a little plastic thong <laughs> is not a part of a single seater and should never be. Ryan Ferret Ferris, bring some sanity to this. Be the voice of reason with your little tiny beard and tell us what was your thing of the weekend. Well, my thing of the weekend is Liberty Media and Formula One. You know, it's a uh, partnership where they've gone, oh, we've got to get rid of everything the X had that reminds me of the X. So we're going to bring in new stuff. Yeah. I had to throw away a bed for that exact same reason. So the new logo is, I don't want to say they've ripped off the Missed Apex logo, but it's very similar, Chris. I I couldn't possibly comment on that. (laughs) They've gone full red and white. And I just want to say it's an honor, uh, but I, I don't like the fact that it's F and then ambiguous character. It's a character that could either be a one, but it hasn't got the little taily accents. It could be a lowercase L, but to me, immediately, if I didn't know F1, I would read that and I would say F-I. I mean, no, I don't like the logo. I'm just going to say it now. I'm not a fan. Um, but ultimately, it's it's not a huge deal, I don't think. Yeah, the logo looks like it couldn't quite manage to get into the Blade Runners movies. So they've just decided to use it for F1 next year. It's funny because the conspiracy theories have already started that, oh, ESPN are doing the coverage next year. Wait a minute, the logo looks like the ESPN yeah. logo. That's, uh, I, do you know what? It's the only conspiracy theory in the last 12 months I actually believe. But it is what? quite funny. That logo will never go out of fashion because that star's never been in fashion, just like Jake's jumper. <laughs> oh, no, you missed the apex. Jake, who missed the apex for you this weekend? Uh, well, Nico Hulkenberg, clearly. And uh, it caused all sorts of difficulties as a result of it. Enough said. Chris Stevens, who missed the apex for you, pal? Oh, there's so many to choose from uh, this weekend. Um, I would ultimately end up saying Ferrari. We were clinging on so much to the idea that they did have a a better car. And certainly they hinted at that in uh, Friday practice. But ultimately in qualifying pace, in race pace, no answer for Mercedes whatsoever. Yep, and I wouldn't be surprised if we start next season like that. And I forgot to say earlier, speaking of Ferrari and customer teams, you can answer both these. Just for the record now, Chris, I'm going to say to you, Sauber will be swapping places with Haas. That's my call right now, and let's everyone remember that we said that. Well, I, I, I have to say, I do believe there is a plan to, you know, increase Ferrari's involvement in the Sauber um team um what where that leaves Haas I I don't know I think you know this is something that's very much in development at the moment I mean we were supposed to have an Alfa Romeo announcement today with Salva but it hasn't happened yet so we'll um we'll 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 see with that as to sort of next year I I don't think that uh, Mercedes will start off next season dominant if anything I think next year is going to be even more competitive nah Mercedes will have it Oh, no, you missed the apex. Ryan, who missed the apex for you? I reckon it's got to be Stroll, because he still hasn't figured out that driving with wheels uh, that are shaped as a 50 pence piece isn't as good as driving on circular wheels. Ah, but Evangelos uh, Eterokletos on uh, the YouTube stream says uh, Kevin Magnussen missed the apex two times in a row at the start of the race. We haven't even talked about that yet, and I feel that should be mentioned because that just kind of proves my point that Kevin Magnussen's useless. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Let, let's get to that in a second. Um, but Ryan, I think he, Stroll, likes to make his tyres the same shape as his racing line. So, you know, a 50 pence piece. Uh, straight a bit, turn a bit, straight a bit, turn a bit, straight a bit. I've nearly got it. Ah, oh, there's the straight. Whew, I can relax, put my foot on the floor. 
Uh, by the way, he's my Miss Apex Award. I'm sorry. I cannot, I can't humor it any longer. I'm, I'm a little bit angry about Stroll being in a Williams next season. Ah, we'll rant about more that more on the season review. Uh, what were we talking about, Jake? Uh, Magnuson. Yeah. Now then, we say, oh, there's no punishment for going offline in these Tilkadromes. Well, case in point, he was forced offline at turn one, picked up dusty tyres. And I, I love that turn two complex into kind of like the bus stop chicane type thing in Abu Dhabi. And this is why when people criticise the track, it's got a lot of great features that I love. And that uphill turn to the right, down to the chicane, where you're almost flat, I think, is one of those examples because Magnussen, with suboptimal grip, could not hold it, didn't touch anyone, and it was enough to send him flying off the track. And yes, we're giving him a bit of stick. He's not a terrible driver. He's a fast, skillful racing driver, and he failed that challenge. Gasly, also young, fast, quick, lost it on certain sections of the track. Before you go into the stadium complex, there's a fantastic bit where you have to be breaking. It's a a right-hand turn going into the first 90-degree turn of a series of five, I think, and you're turning under braking as you go in there, and Gasly lost it there. It's, It's a driver challenge. And that, that's why I like the track. Yeah, that's a cool bit. Uh, the bit you mentioned at the start, turn two, turn three, uh, nothing else. Sorry, just no, nothing else. Uh, I, I'm very much of the opinion of the boys who say that it's a pants circuit. Chris Stevens, you and I finally agree on something. Uh, get rid of it. Sorry, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Okay, so we're going to move on to the Pony Award. So this is genuinely, uh, generally, sorry, for petulant behaviour. I think that Fernando Alonso pretending to care about Stoffel van Dorn getting a point, as I was alluding to in the show's title, I just want to call rubbish. I just don't believe you. I think he read the situation well enough to know there wasn't anything they could do for Stoffel and thought he'd look like a good guy. Chris, any ponies from you? Sorry, go on, Jake. I agree with you. Uh, I'd like to put a shout out there for a similar sort of subtle uh, little Pony, and that was Carlos Sainz, who was doing so, so much hard work to make sure he didn't mouth off at his mechanics for not putting <laughs> the fuel, not putting the wheel on the car. If you listen to the radio after it happened, he was so polite, but you could just hear it in his voice. He was seething. He wanted to rip that wheel gunner to shreds. Uh, no, I think the only one that really I noticed was maybe uh, Lewis, where I keep talking to a minimum because he was concentrating very hard on trying to beat Valtteri. But he uh, does that every single race. So how is that surprising? I don't know. I just like yeah. Lewis Hamilton for a pony award. Yeah, fair, fair enough. enough. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, okay, so then let's find out who has won this week's coveted comment of the week. Well, it's a tough one because there's five to choose from, and I might need your help on this one, uh, Matthew Graf. Uh, talks about the Abu Dhabi circuit. He says, erase the gorgeous sunset and pull all the lovely lights and alien architecture away from the track, and it sucks. Boo. No, not that one, because it disagrees (laughs) with my pre-held conceptions. Okay, well, Lance Lassen says, when a tunnel on the pit exit is the most interesting part, not a good circuit. I mean, it's it's quite an interesting pit circuit in its defense, the pit exit. Are you sure? Carlos Sainz very nearly became the first person ever to hit it on the way out of the pit. No, no, it's not enough. Uh, Hannah Hassel writes, Ferrari's strategy department is an orangutan, Jeremy Clarkson and Boise from Only Fools and Horses. That's quite up there. Uh, Sandra Reynolds says, think Magnussen needs a map. Read the first lap spinning like a ballerina. Yeah, that's the furthest off I've seen anyone in that section, to be fair. 
And my final choice is Dom Byrne. I envisage Papa Stroll having a big red button that launches Kvyat as a means to clear a way for Junior in 2018. That's obviously supporting Danny Kvyat getting the drive at Williams next year. And do you know what? I'm going to go with that one. Dom Byrne. That's the one I'm going to choose. Comment of the week. It is interesting to think about how much power Papa Stroll does actually have uh, because Kvyat, yeah, he is a bit crashy. But he's fast. And if you, there are certainly faster race drivers out there than Massa. So there could easily be a driver in there that humiliates Stroll. Absolutely. At the end of the day, we're talking about will it be Kvyat? Will it be Verline? Will it be the Resta? Will it be uh, Kvyat? No, it'll be whoever Mr. Stroll says it will be. Do you think, do you honestly think he's got that much power? I think he's got that much money. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's quite sad. Guys, make sure you tune in to Mr. Apex Podcast and make sure you are subscribed because although the season has come to an end, we're not stopping. We are slowing down because I think we got carried away. We had all our Inside F1 with Joe Saywards, which we're very, very grateful for. I haven't actually asked Joe if he's up for coming back next season, but I'm hoping he is. And he's very kindly said that I could go down and see him for his event in Knightsbridge on Friday, the 1st of December, which so I'll be there in person. It's 39 quid. If you want to go down to Knightsbridge and sit quietly at the back, having a beer and, and, and trying to make me be quiet because all of Joe's fans think that I'm the Wally that asks him questions, uh, but do come down and have a pint with me. I think that would be fantastic. I'm trying to convince Chris to come down as well. Um, also, why don't you tune in next Sunday when we'll do our season review of the 2017 season? I think that'll be a lot of fun. We've got a great tech review coming up as well, which I will encourage you all to listen to, sorry, to consume in video form because we're going to try something a little bit different that we hope will be a showcase for tech time and be something that Mr. Apex podcast can be really, really proud of. So I, if you're one of these who turns off their podcasts until 2018, we will see you next year. Have a good Christmas, but I hope that you will subscribe to us and uh, listen in as we cover the winter, I think with weekly shows. So until I see you next time, whenever that is, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Mr. Apex. Is Ryan alive? I, I thought he'd died at some point. His head was down. I could only see the top of his head. That is the position of a dead person. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.